Out front next, breaking news. The Supreme Court will decide whether Donald Trump can be kicked off the ballot in Colorado. As President Biden warns tonight, Trump is the biggest threat to American democracy. Plus, a new wave of documents tied to Jeffrey Epstein has just been released. New details about Donald Trump and Bill Clinton's relationships with the convicted pedophile. And he is the billionaire investor who went after the Harvard president for plagiarism again and again and again. Now his wife admits she plagiarized too. So what's he saying now? The reporter who broke the story is my guest. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Erica Hill, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, breaking news. The Supreme Court enters the 2024 election, agreeing to hear Donald Trump's appeal of Colorado's landmark ruling that found he's an insurrectionist and therefore unfit for office and therefore can't be on the ballot in that state. It is a historic case, one that is also forcing these nine justices to act quickly. Oral arguments set to begin February 8th. This decision, of course, could have not just a seismic impact on Donald Trump's political ambitions, but on ballots across the country. Just last week, Maine's Secretary of State announced Trump would not appear on her state's primary ballot. Oregon's top court is currently weighing a challenge to the former president's eligibility. And then just yesterday, voters in Illinois and Massachusetts filed motions to remove Trump from their 2024 ballots. Now, Trump's campaign is responding to the Supreme Court's decision, writing in part, these so-called ballot challenge cases are all part of a well-funded effort by left-wing political activists hell-bent on stopping the lawful re-election of President Trump this November, even if it means disenfranchising voters. The attorney representing the Colorado group that wants Trump off the ballot is with us tonight. But first, Evan Paris is out front, live in Washington. And so, Evan, as we just noted, oral arguments set to begin pretty quickly, February 8th. Overseas ballots, though, for Colorado voters will go in the mail on January 20th. How does all that work? Right, exactly, Erica. That means that uh, by the time the, uh, the, the justices get to hear this case, by the time they have these oral arguments, uh, people will have voted. And so that really raises the question, right? Uh, is this an indicator of where the court, where the court is leaning? I, I, I think that's certainly one of the big questions that everyone is asking uh, watching this, this schedule. If you look again, uh, just today, the Colorado Secretary of State certified the ballot uh, for Colorado. That's the official date that, that kicks this off for Colorado. Um, March 5th is actually election day, but in between now and then, there's a lot of key dates, and one of them, of course, is January, January 20th, where ballots go out to military and overseas voters. Do we think that justices are ready to kick off Donald Trump off the ballot, the primary ballot in Colorado, including especially uh, these military voters who will be will have begun casting their ballots by then? Uh, you take a look at that calendar again. Uh, by uh, on February 12th is when uh, other mail-in ballots uh, begin going out, and the first uh, in-person voting begins uh, on February 28th, and so. Uh, again, a lot of us, uh, certainly when we started hearing these 14th Amendment challenges, the idea that uh, the former president would be kicked off ballots in, in states because of the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which, you know, again, declares him to be an, an insurrectionist, uh, seemed very far-fetched. But here we are, right? These, ca these challenges have gone much further than anyone thought. And so here we have the Supreme Court having to weigh in. Uh, and it really does kick off what we're looking at, a, a historic period where the Supreme Court, for the first time since Bush v. Gore in 2000, is set to pay, play a major role in the 
presidential election, perhaps making a decision on whether the former, uh, whether the former president gets to stay on these ballots. Yeah, uh, it is quite a decision indeed. Evan, appreciate it. Thank you. Out front now, Sean Grimsley, who represents the group of voters in Colorado who want Trump off of the ballot. So the fact that the Supreme Court has agreed to decide this case, what is your reaction to that tonight? What do you anticipate? Well, we're thankful that the Supreme Court decided to take the case. We asked the Supreme Court to do so, along with the petitioners. The Republican State Party, Donald Trump, and our clients asked that. We're also gratified that the court is setting it on an expedited schedule. You know, we had asked for argument by January 19th. That was probably a little bit ambitious, but having it on February 8th is pretty close. And we think the court will have this issue decided well in advance of March 5th, Super Tuesday. So well in advance of Super Tuesday, but there is the issue of, and you know, Evan was just going through this calendar there, there is the issue of these mail-in ballots. For overseas voters, Colorado voters, let's go out January 20th. Does that have an impact? Um, we hope not. I think everybody is going to be pretty aware at this point that the Supreme Court is going to weigh in on this issue in relatively short order. People will receive the, their mail-in ballots uh, before I think the court reaches a decision. But uh, if people hold off uh, sending in their mail-in ballots, they have plenty of time to do so until March 5th, uh, then they'll be able to see what the Supreme Court rules. Do you think that many people will hold off? Well, I, I hope so. I hope that people recognize that this is a major issue that the Supreme Court is going to be deciding and that it would make sense rather than simply vote before the Supreme Court decides to wait and see what happens. Um, a group of House Democrats, as you likely know today, demanding that Justice Clarence Thomas recuse himself from this case, writing in part, not only did your wife attend the January 6th rally, but she was instrumental in planning it and bringing the insurrectionists to the Capitol, going on to say that Jimmy Ginny Thomas has shown a, quote, fervent bias in favor of Mr. Trump and saying it's hard to believe her bias has no impact on you. Again, important to note, they are talking here about the actions of Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas. Do you believe he should recuse himself because of his wife's actions? Well, I've not followed what the uh, Judiciary Committee Democrats have done today. But I will say right now, we have absolutely no plan to seek recusal of Justice Thomas. I suppose if something came out that we're unaware of, we might change our mind. But at this point, we do not uh, plan to seek recusal. Sean Grimsley, appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Out front now, Steve Vladek, our Supreme Court analyst. Steve, always good to have you here because you help put so many things in perspective so well for us. As we look at this calendar, you know, Sean's saying he's feeling pretty good about it. It's fairly aggressive, especially for the Supreme Court. How quickly do you think we could have a decision? Yeah, Erica, I think I think Sean's right that this is a court that is clearly trying to move quickly. You know, a February 8th argument says to me that the justices are looking at that March 5th primary date. Um, and intending to issue a decision before that date. Now, you know, will that mean that every Colorado voter will know before they cast their primary ballot what the Supreme Court has ruled? No, but I think from the court's perspective, having this matter settled one way or the other before the Colorado primary will also help to provide some stability for the rest of the country. Erica, not just as we enter primary season, but especially with an eye toward the general elections this fall. Well, to your to your point, I mean, we saw from the main secretary of state when she issued her ruling, she specifically cited Colorado. So is this this decision ultimately right that, that the Supreme Court will issue? 
What will this mean for every state in the union? Yeah, I mean, Erica, I have to think that the justices from across the ideological spectrum want to use this case to resolve this issue one way or the other. And I think the, the least likely outcome from the U.S. Supreme Court is some kind of Colorado-specific decision that would require the court to get back into this if the main case comes up to them, if a case from Illinois or Massachusetts comes up to them. And so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the court, and I think the justices are well aware of this, to resolve one way or the other in this one case, whether former President Trump is going to be eligible within the terms of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to run for re-election. You know, I was really struck by some comments from uh, Trump's attorney, Alina Haba. She was on Fox News talking about the high court taking this up and sort of her, her thoughts on it. Take a listen to this moment. I think it should be a slam dunk in the Supreme Court. I have faith in them. You know, people like um, Kavanaugh, who the president fought for, who the president went through hell to get into place, he'll step up. Those people will step up, not because they're pro-Trump, but because they're pro-law, because they're pro-fairness. And the law on this is very clear. As an attorney, just, I mean, how inappropriate are comments like that? Could they backfire? Yeah, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, you know, that's probably about a 17 when it comes to inappropriateness. Um, I, I don't know if they'll backfire specifically. I mean, I doubt that, you know, Justice Kavanaugh is sitting there and, you know, basing his vote on what Alina Haba has said. But I do think, Erica, it really puts into very sharp con uh, context just how sticky a wicket this entire case is for this Supreme Court at this moment in our history. And we have a court that is as unpopular as any court since that measure has been taken by pollsters. We have a court that is a lightning rod in partisan and ideological ways. And now you have the president's own lawyer suggesting that justices who President Trump appointed are going to you know, step up for President Trump in this context. It really just, I think, illuminates why, if I were the Supreme Court, I never wanted to touch this mm. case. And Can't it's only because the Colorado Supreme Court came along that they're now forced to. So in terms of touching this case, right, the Supreme Court, can they answer the question of whether Donald Trump can be on the ballot without deciding whether he's an insurrectionist? So in one direction, Erica, they can, and in one direction, they can't. Um, if the court were to say that there is some procedural reason why the Colorado Supreme Court was not able to reach the insurrection question, maybe Section 3 doesn't apply to the presidency. That's one argument that's been made. Maybe it's not what's called self-executing, meaning you can't just go and enforce it in state courts. It's up to Congress to enforce it. If the court were to take one of those off-ramps, um, it could absolutely dodge the substantive question of whether President Trump's conduct before and on January 6th amounts to engaging in insurrection within the text of Section 3. Erica, the problem is those off-ramps run in only one direction. They run in favor of leaving President Trump on the ballot in all 50 states, right? The only way for the court to sort of keep President Trump off the ballot is to tackle the insurrection question head on. And I just don't think that that's something the court is in any big hurry to do. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way. Steve, always appreciate your insight, your expertise. Thank you. Thank you. Out front next, breaking news. Former President Trump tonight responding to Biden's blistering takedown as he warned the former president and his supporters are on a mission to destroy America's democracy. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy. 
put himself in power. Plus, he was the driving force behind Harvard President Claudine Gay's resignation because of plagiarism allegations. Now it turns out his wife did the exact same thing. The reporter who broke that story is my guest. He has a new scoop tonight. And this just in, singer Michael Bolton tonight revealing he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and had to undergo immediate surgery and update on his condition. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Breaking news, democracy in danger. President Biden with his starkest warning yet about former President Trump, marking the eve of the third anniversary of January 6th by claiming the GOP frontrunner and his supporters are a threat to democracy and the Constitution. Democracy is on the ballot. Your freedom is on the ballot. This is the first national election since January 6th. Insurrection placed a dagger at the throat of American democracy since that moment. We all know who Donald Trump is. The question we have to answer is, who are we? That's what's at stake. Just moments ago, Trump seizing on Biden's speech at a rally in Iowa, repeatedly claiming it is Joe Biden who's the real threat. I'm a threat. They've weaponized government. He's saying, I'm a threat to democracy. What they're doing is very corrupt. People aren't going to take it. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. He's weaponizing law enforcement for a high-level election interference. It's all about election interference. Arlette Sines is traveling with the president today. She's out front with more. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. President Biden with his 2024 campaign trail debut in Battleground, Pennsylvania, speaking in his most blunt terms yet about former President Donald Trump. Trump exhausted every legal avenue available to him to overturn the election. Everyone. But the legal path just took Trump back to the truth. That I'd won the election and he was a loser. The president using the third anniversary of the January 6th insurrection as evidence Trump is unfit to hold the nation's highest office. It was among the worst derelictions of duty by a president in American history. An attempt to overturn a free and fair election by force and violence. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. Biden also taking aim at Trump's attempts to reframe one of the most politically violent days in American history, pointing to this moment from Trump's first political rally of the 2024 campaign. 
national anthem sung by a choir made of January 6th prisoners. This is like something out of a fairy tale, bad fairy tale. Trump began his 2024 campaign by glorifying the failed violent insurrectionists insurrection at our, on our Capitol. Biden's speech marked a turning point in his campaign as he draws a sharper contrast with his predecessor. Today, we're here to answer the most important of questions. Is democracy still America's sacred cause? His advisors view January 6th as a potent reminder of the stakes of this year's election, featuring the violent scenes in the year's first TV ad. Something dangerous happened in America. There's an extremist movement does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. Three years later, half of Americans believe Trump bears a good amount or great deal of responsibility for January 6th. But a partisan divide exists, with 86% of Democrats making that assessment, compared to only 14% of Republicans. But Biden planning to keep his democracy argument front and center as he trains his eye on a possible rematch with his one-time rival. I make this sacred pledge to you, the defense, protection, and preservation of American democracy will remain, as it has been, the central cause of my presidency. And Erica, President Biden will continue this campaign push on Monday when he travels down to Charleston, South Carolina. It is there where Biden will speak at Mother Emanuel AME Church, which was the 2015 site of that mass shooting that killed nine black parishioners. The president, uh, one of his challenges going forward will be in trying to convince voters that democracy should be the central issue of this campaign at a time when we've seen voters also express frustration and concerns about things like the economy and how that is impacting uh, their pocketbooks. But the Biden team acknowledges they have work to do to try to define the stakes of this campaign early on. They say that they're going to remind voters what Trump did when he was in office and what he is vowing to do now, as they are really hoping that this moment today was the opening salvo of the campaign. Arlette signs live for us tonight. Arlette, thank you. Out front now, Aquilino Gunnell, who is a staff sergeant with the U.S. Capitol Police on January 6th, injured in clashes with rioters as he protected the Capitol. He is also the author of American Shield, the immigrant sergeant who defended democracy. Sergeant Gunnell, it's good to have you with us tonight. Uh, hard to believe in many ways that tomorrow marks three years uh, for, since that deadly insurrection. President Biden says Republicans have abandoned the truth in his words about January 6th, that they've abandoned our democracy. Do you agree? I do. I mean, the, the, this is coming from uh, uh, from a lot of people that claim to support the, the police and uh, are the party of law and order. And with their actions, they have shown that uh, they, they don't. Um, when they had the chance and the opportunity to, to make a meaningful legislation uh, to uh, produce a, a bipartisan investigation, they chose to side with the insurrectionists, with the rioters. Uh, and, and, call them patriots and uh, hostages uh, rather than trying to find out why did they attack the police officer in our democracy on January 6th. Um, we heard Brian, President Biden talk so much today about what he sees as the threat to democracy. Uh, former President Trump responding, basically pointing the finger back at President Biden. Where do you believe the biggest threat is tonight to democracy? Uh, the former president, he just reflecting uh, every single accusation that he does. It usually means that he's the one perpetrating those accusations. Uh, when, how are we supposed to take 
uh, him at his word when uh, uh, he has shown what he's capable of. Uh, before Jeremy Six, everybody kept saying, oh, he's just joking. Uh, he won't do anything once he's president. He won't do those things. And uh, uh, as I speak uh, at length in, in my book, American Shield, um, he has shown that he doesn't have any regard to uh, anybody else who had done anything safe, uh, selfless uh, for this country. Uh, I, for myself, uh, had dedicated um, 23 years of my life as a public servant, and I was not even born in this country. Um, I did eight years in the military and uh, 17 as a Capitol Police officer. I went overseas to defend this country in, in Iraq. I exercised my, um, my, my voting right from Iraq uh, because I was not uh, eligible to vote before that. Uh, and here I was on January 6th defending the Capitol, our seat of democracy. Um, against uh, native-born citizens that were uh, listening to the lies of uh, the former president. President Biden spoke about you today uh, in his speech as he was talking about those events of January 6th. I want to play a little bit of that for you. One Capitol Police officer called it a medieval battle. That same officer called vile rape, was called vile racist names. He said he was more afraid in the capital of the United States of America, in the chambers, than when he was fighting as a soldier in the war in Iraq. So he was more afraid inside the halls of Congress than fighting in the war in Iraq. When you hear President Biden using your story and your words, what is that like for you in that moment? Um, very humble, honor, um, but it's uh, the same sentiment that I was feeling at that time when I testified. Uh, again, when I uh, I took the oath, an oath to defend the Constitution, our democracy in this country, uh, and I was not even born in this country. Uh, and here I was getting attacked uh, on January 6th, not by a foreign entity, but by our own citizens. Um, and they, some of them, they had taken the same oath that I did. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they had desecrated all those sacrifices. Um, I feel good that I did what I needed to do on January 6th. And whether you see me as a villain or, uh, or, or as a hero, I know that I held my post. I know that I, I did what I was required of me at, at that time. Um, you know, it, it, I'm glad that he recognized me and... Um, and, and say those things, uh, nice things about me. My son is very proud of that as well. Sergeant Canal, we appreciate your perspective tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, out front now, former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman. He was an advisor to the January 6th Select Committee. And Karen Finney, who was senior spokesperson for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Good to have both of you here tonight. So, Congressman, President Biden uh, is really now making Donald Trump's actions on January 6th a central part of his campaign. Do you believe that will resonate with Republicans? Well, with Republicans, I think it's going to be very difficult. I mean, even now, anecdotally, you know, I'm out here. Um, I own distilleries, I have a lot of people that come through, and it's interesting to me, you know, how many people are, are saying that January 6th really doesn't matter to them. What I do think it matters to are the independents and the center-right individuals. He did mention mainstream Republicans in his speech. I think those individuals can be swayed. I think you're only looking to 3 to 5%, Erica, 
that we need to actually get into because I thought that speech was really powerful, especially the part about Bo Biden uh, really touched me because I'm a military veteran. And I think what he was trying to do in that speech, which might work, I really do think that is the disrespect that President Trump shows towards the troops, but actually the disrespect that he shows towards our country's institutions. And I thought that whole speech really highlighted not only uh, former President Trump's conspiratorial nature and the fact that he does not respect our institutions, but the fact that he's a coward. Uh, you know, and I think if I had to boil it down and summarize it, I think what really worked for President Biden today is that Donald Trump is a guy in a bar fight who lies about everybody in the bar. And then once the fight starts, he hides in the bathroom. And I think that's what President Biden was trying to say about Donald Trump. He likes to hide. He likes to start fights. He likes to lie. And we can't have that kind of individual running again or winning in 2024. It's striking when I hear you say that because I was also, this really stood out to me. The longtime Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg polled 2,500 swing state voters and found they thought that Republicans would actually do better when it comes to opposing extremism, to protecting the Constitution. So, you know, we have, we're hearing from the Congressman Karen, but if this is going to be Joe Biden's central campaign and it is not hitting with those swing state voters, does the message need to change at all? Is the campaign in trouble? Right. Well, I think there's one other piece of this that we have to remember, and that is that on an ongoing rolling basis, we are going to continue to learn new details about the lengths to which Donald Trump went to try to overthrow the election uh, on January 6th. We're already learning more than we even, I thought, you know, during the Jan 6 hearings, we've heard everything, but now we're learning more about fake electors in Michigan and Wisconsin. So I do think that as that plays out, it adds another dimension. But to the second point, I'll just say, Erica, yeah, you they were going to have to, and the president mentioned this, they're going to have to take this message about the democ our democracy and our, and our country and this question of who are we? Who do we want to be? Are we going to go forward or are we going to go backwards? And bring that down to the grassroots level, because that means something a little bit different for every American. It can mean reproductive freedom. It can mean a strong economy. It can mean, you know, voting rights. I mean, it can mean any number of different things, different issues. And so that's going to be part of the work of the campaign is how do you take this big lofty idea, which I think is in our hearts and so, of so many of us, and bring that down to, you know, again, that real grassroots level. Um, I want to play a little bit, um, shifting gears a tad here, from Aaron's town hall last night with Nikki Haley, where she alluded to Donald Trump's legal issues, including January 6th. I personally think President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But the reality is, rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And we all know that's true. You said rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. Is it rightly or wrongly? Does, is both. he the one who causes that chaos or is he just the unwitting victim? It's both. I mean, you see a lot of these cases they've brought against him are political in nature and there's no basis on it. And then you see some that he's going to have to answer for. Congressman, can't she have it both ways? It's, it's almost like we're watching the definition of political windstock and cognitive dissonance, you know, all in one statement. So he has chaos that follows him, but he creates a little chaos. But he was the right president at the right time. But some of the stuff is political that's going after him. So what is she trying to say exactly? It's the same answer she had when asked about how the Civil War started. She doesn't want to piss off the base. Uh, gosh, I shouldn't say it that bluntly. 
So that's really what it's going. She's looking at. Uh, it's okay with cable. She's, <laughs> yeah, but she's looking at the poll. <laughs> she's looking at the polling and the cross tabs, and she's looking at the fundraising. So she answers that question. You, you can't have it both ways. That that is, it's it's such a ludicrous answer. Anybody who I think actually understands spoken English would say, why don't you just try to answer the question honestly at one time? That would be nice to see. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there because even in cable, we have time limits. Um, but good to have both of you here tonight. Thank you again. Thank you. Out front next, breaking news. More documents tied to convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein just released, including new details about Epstein's ties to both Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Plus, he is the billionaire hedge fund manager who relentlessly pressed for Harvard President Claudine Gay's resignation over plagiarism. Well, now his wife admits she plagiarized, too. The reporter who broke that story has a new scoop tonight, and he's out front next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, a new trove of documents related to Jeffrey Epstein's sexual abuse and the powerful men with ties to him. This latest drop, the third, revealing more details about former presidents Donald Trump and Bill Clinton and their relationships with Epstein. Gene Casares has been going through these new pages and joins us now. So what have you found? What else is in these new documents, Well, first Jean? of all, a brand new drop just came. Even more documents So now this is drop tonight. number four. Another one just came. But here's what we have. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of depositions that have been unsealed. And one was a former employee, Juan Alessi. And he said he met so many people because of Epstein. He said that he met Donald Trump at dinner at Epstein's home at one point. Also, another point at the home, there was Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson. He met international beauty queens. He said he met a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. And he said that he met former President Bill Clinton on the plane of Epstein. Now, we do want to say that in regard to former President Clinton and former President Donald Trump, they are not and have never been accused of crimes in regard to Epstein or any bad deeds. Jeffrey Epstein used to socialize with the world's elite, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, and Britain's Prince Andrew, to name a few. Now, many of Epstein's associations are surfacing again, after their names appear in newly unsealed court documents linked to the late sex offender. For years, Clinton's ties to Epstein have been scrutinized. Questions have been raised over the extent of their relationship. As the former president has confirmed, he's met with him on occasion and traveled on his plane four times. But through a spokesperson said he knew nothing of the financier's terrible crimes. There has never been any accusations of crimes or wrongdoing against the former president related to Epstein, but the former president's name appears more than a dozen times across multiple newly released documents. Now in an unsealed email revealed for the first time, accuser Virginia Giuffre in 2011 said she believed former President Clinton stood by his friend, Jeffrey Epstein, when it came to bad press. Giuffre writing, quote, Considering that Bill Clinton walked into Vanity Fair and threatened them not to write sex trafficking articles about his good friend, Jeffrey Epstein. 
Graydon Carter, Vanity Fair's editor at the time, said in a statement to CNN that the interaction categorically did not happen. A Clinton spokesperson told CNN they had no new comment about the alleged incident, but on Wednesday said it has been nearly 20 years since President Clinton last had contact with Epstein. Also in the pages are depositions, including one taken in 2016 from victim Joanna Schulberg, who worked for Epstein. When asked if Clinton was a friend of Epstein's, she said she understood Epstein had, quote, dealings with Clinton. She says in the document that she and Epstein had a conversation and, quote, he said one time that Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. Today, we announce the unsealing of sex trafficking charges against Jeffrey Epstein. In 2019, when Epstein was charged with sex trafficking, a Clinton spokesperson confirmed to CNN his travel on Epstein's plane. In 2002 and 2003, President Clinton took a total of four trips on Jeffrey Epstein's airplane, one to Europe, one to Asia, and two to Africa, which included stops in connection with the work of the Clinton Foundation. Ghislaine Maxwell's trial in 2021 confirmed that with sworn testimony from Epstein's former pilot, saying he would typically be given notice if Clinton or high-profile passengers like him would be flying. According to Clinton's representative, he also met with Epstein in New York. He had one meeting with Epstein in his Harlem office in 2002 and around the same time made one brief visit to Epstein's New York apartment. But the spokesperson went on to say Clinton has never been to Little St. James Island, Epstein's ranch in New Mexico, or his residence in Florida, where some of the sexual assault allegations are alleged to have occurred. Gene, David Copperfield's name is also mentioned in some of these... A brand new name. Brand new name. What are the details? Well, it comes out in deposition. And one deposition, it's a former employee, Sarah Kellum, And what she said was that uh, she mentioned uh, David Copperfield, and then there were these questions to her by the attorney asking her, so tell me, did they exchange girls between Copperfield and, and Epstein? And then did Copperfield give tickets to Epstein to give girls to the shows of David Copperfield? And then those girls would go to the shows and be invited backstage by David Copperfield. Another employee said that she met David Copperfield at the home for dinner and that he started asking her questions about whether she knew the methods that Epstein used for procuring the young girls. And did she know that the young girls, if they recruited another young girl, would get paid for doing it. Wow. Very bizarre. Now, we do want to say we have reached out to David Copperfield's representatives several times for comment on these very serious accusations that are in those deficits. Still waiting to hear back. Gene, appreciate it as always. Thank Mm you. Out front next, the outspoken billionaire who called for Harvard's president to go, citing plagiarism allegations against her. Well, that man's wife now says she also plagiarized. So what's Bill Ackman saying now? And deep fake videos, disinformation, spy balloons. China accused of pulling out all the stops in an effort to interfere in a very important looming election. Tonight, hypocrisy. Bill Ackman, the billionaire investor who demanded former Harvard President Claudine Gay be ousted over plagiarism and anti-Semitism charges, the man who was relentless in his criticism of Gay, tweeting more than a dozen times since December 10th about the instances of alleged plagiarism in her work, the same man who is still not satisfied with Gay's resignation and wants her punished further. It turns out Ackman's, Ackman's wife, Neri Oxman, a former MIT academic, 
is now admitting to plagiarism herself. Out front now is Jack Newsham, senior reporter at Business Insider, who broke this story about Oxman. So you've had, actually, you're breaking even more news tonight. As we speak, this is happening. You found some additional examples, as I understand it, of plagiarism by Ackman's wife. What more can you tell us about those instances? Uh, that's right, Erica. Uh, on Thursday, our first story covered four instances of plagiarism uh, in in uh, Dr. in Professor Oxman's PhD thesis. This story we just got up reveals 28 new instances of plagiarism, 15 of which are citing Wikipedia, or rather failing to cite Wikipedia, but using text pulled directly from the popular online encyclopedia that anyone can edit. I'm, I'm a little, can you tell I'm a little dumbstruck by that? Um, especially using Wikipedia. When we look at all of this. With good reason. Um, this is something that, go ahead. Go ahead. This is something that uh, school kids are taught not to do, and yet it's appearing in work by someone who's seeking a PhD. Um, I was I was just as flummoxed as you were. I couldn't believe it. So walk me back through what you found initially. So these are the new things that you found tonight, those 28 instances, some of them, as, as you say, uh, allegedly coming from Wikipedia. These first instances of plagiarism that you found in the dissertation, how similar were they to what was found in Claudine Gay's work. Is this an apples to apples comparison? The first one in terms of style is I would say apples to apples. Uh, the first four instances we found, three of them were failures to use quotation marks around direct quotes that had been pulled from other academic works. Neri Oxman works at sort of the intersection of design and the natural sciences. And she pulled uh, from, from articles written by uh, scientists in Israel and a book about trees written by a German academic uh, in three cases without using quotation marks around those around those uh, lines that mm -hmm. she pulled and in in a in a fourth case without any inline citation at all with no reference to the work that she was drawing from uh, that is what she responded to by apologizing and acknowledging that you know if she made errors she would fix them uh, we continued our and, and that that I should mm -hmm. say is, is very similar to what Claudine Gay was accused of. Uh, Claudine Gay was accused of doing this many more times. I believe the most recent number is 50 times she did things of that nature, uh, failing to use quotation marks, failing to cite some of her sources at all. Um, but they were very similar in style, so, if not in number. So as you note, um, Oxman did, she acknowledged these errors, right, and apologized for them in response to that initial reporting from you. Um, what about Bill Ackman in terms of responding to uh, his wife's plagiarism, I guess, that she admitted to. Well, in terms of the initial report, uh, Bill retweeted or reposted what she posted on Twitter, or X, I guess we're calling it now, and uh, said that, you know, he, he, he hailed her graciousness. Um, tonight, however, shortly after we went to, to him and his wife for, for comment uh, on our, our mm -hmm. most recent findings, uh, he tweeted that... Uh, he was clearly uh, a little upset uh, with, with our planned report and said that he would be going through the work of every scholar at MIT, every member of the MIT board, all the officers of the corporation, including the president. He has been urging to resign. So uh, I'm personally very eager to, to see what that turns up to. This is, uh, this is one of these moments where we say stay tuned because there's clearly a lot more to develop on this front. Jack, really good to have you with us tonight. Appreciate you bringing us the breaking news and we'll continue to follow it. Please keep us posted on your findings as well. Thanks, Erica. Out front next, spy balloons, doctored audio, deep fake videos, how China is now trying to rig a crucial election. Plus, Michael Bolton 
with a stunning announcement tonight about emergency surgery for a brain tumor. Tonight, multiple sightings of Chinese spy balloons, eight just this week, hovering over airspace around Taiwan. Now, the balloons are similar to the one that was shot down over the U.S. last year, and they are widely seen as an ominous message, one coming just days before a high-stakes election in Taiwan that could determine whether Taiwan and China go to war. Will Ripley is out front. A chilling picture of weaponized Chinese disinformation. Deep fake videos, doctored audio, casting a sinister shadow over Taiwan's upcoming presidential election. CNN inside a closed-door briefing with senior intelligence officials in Taipei. Beijing's goal, they say, boosting the chances of candidates seen as friendlier to China to win. A senior security official tells CNN Chinese leaders held a secret meeting in the mainland hashing out election interference plans. The meeting chaired by Wang Huning, the fourth ranking leader of China's Communist Party. Wang ordering officials to be more discreet. Taiwanese intelligence tells CNN they even say the Chinese military is involved, claiming PLA Base 311 a psychological warfare unit in the mainland, is targeting the self-governing democracy with disinformation. The mainland's Taiwan Affairs Office says Taiwan elections are purely China's internal affairs and allow no interference by any external forces. Taiwanese officials say the secretive gathering just days after Chinese leader Xi Jinping traveled to San Francisco, a four-hour marathon meeting with President Joe Biden. President Biden told President Xi not to interfere in Taiwan's election. Is China going to listen to that? I don't think so, because they keep doing it. Puma Shen is a professor and politician seeking a legislative seat for Taiwan's ruling Democratic Progressive Party. Since taking power in 2016, the DPP prioritizes partnership with Washington over economic ties with Beijing defying the Chinese Communist Party's preferred political agenda, a more China-friendly platform championed by two opposition parties currently trailing in the polls. For China, it's all about how to sway the people in the middle, I mean the swing voters. He says methods include spreading disinformation, malicious rumors deliberately planted, magnifying narratives favorable to Beijing, trashing politicians seen as tough on China. From false claims the ruling party's vice presidential candidate is a U.S. citizen to fabricated allegations of mass surveillance by Taiwan security agencies over Taiwanese individuals, fact-checked in real time by journalists in this Taipei newsroom. Usually we have a lot of uh, rumors and disinformation, but not so political. And now, because the election coming, and there's many political and uh, malicious ones. Her grim warning. Misinformation is at an all-time high. And Shen says, not just in Taiwan. Is China also trying to influence the U.S. election? Uh, definitely. They actually have real engagement with real people. So they're getting better and better. Distorting the truth. Endangering democracy. One vote at a time. China tonight accused of trying to scare voters here in Taiwan. Ah, uh, just in the last week or so, at least 10 sightings of Chinese spy balloons, five of them flying directly over this self-governing democracy. And in recent days, releasing new video of their third and most advanced aircraft carrier, 
the Fujian, which when it finishes its sea trials, which are expected to begin soon, Erica, it could play a key role, experts say, in any attack on Taiwan. Really important reporting. We'll appreciate it. Thank you. Just ahead, Michael Bolton shocking fans with an announcement tonight that he's undergone surgery for a brain tumor. Just in, singer Michael Bolton revealing he was diagnosed with a brain tumor just before the holidays. Writing on Facebook, that tumor required immediate surgery. He went on to say, thanks to my incredible medical team, the surgery was a success. I am now recuperating at home, surrounded by the tremendous love and support of my family. Bolton, who is 70, says he'll be taking a temporary break from singing. The Grammy Award winner had planned to start touring next month. Those dates, though, will now be rescheduled. AC360 starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.